welcome back to Your Chamber Presents. Your Chamber has a number of tools to help you look local. If you're shopping, try Alberta's online marketplace, chambermarket.ca, to find businesses in your area that sell and ship direct to you. Are you looking for the right person to fill a job? Our Job Connector matches local businesses with prospective employees and builds our regional workforce. Find it at yourchamber.ca. Thinking of starting a local business? Our startup Leduc and Wetaskiwin Region program guides entrepreneurs through the startup phase and even matches new business owners with seasoned professionals for mentorship. Find more information on the program at startupleducwetaskiwin.biz. Maybe you're looking for the perfect tourism experience or night out. Discover Leduc has everything you need, from shopping to dining to hotels. See what the Leduc region has to offer at discoverleduc.ca. In this episode of Your Chamber Presents, we'll hear from Member of Parliament for Edmonton-Wetasquin, the Honourable Mike Lake, and Member of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta for Drayton Valley-Devon, Mr. Mark Smith. This event was hosted by the Devon Chamber of Commerce with the support of Your Chamber and was sponsored by the Town of Devon. We're super excited to, uh, to again, this is the, the first luncheon for the Devon Chamber of the new year and, and doing so we want to have, uh, we want to invite our Chamber President of the Devon and District Chamber, Chris Scheel, uh, to provide an update. Chris. Thanks, Jen, and thanks for sharing all those exciting events that are upcoming. Um, so good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, as Jen mentioned, this is the first event since um, entering into the new management contract with the Leduc. Niskew and Wetaskiwin Regional Chamber. And our members have been benefiting from a larger networking base, as you can see on this call. It's so great to see a renewed collaborative approach where we have um, members from Devon, Leduc, Wetaskiwin, all joining us for a Devon call. So it's just a, one of the benefits of, of a larger networking base. Our members have also been seeing expanded support from Jen and her team and expanded promotions and events that are being offered. It's an exciting time for our chamber and we're looking forward to continuing with this new chapter. Um, also want to highlight that we welcomed three new members in the last uh, couple of months. That's Priya Yoga, Fortis Alberta, and JC HVAC Services. And I believe some of them are on the call. So welcome. And uh, yeah, any of our members, please reach out to these new members. So you, and you can find them, uh, links to them on our Devon Chamber website and uh, look forward to supporting them. Um, also want to confirm that we, we, have, uh, we have confirmed the date for our Devon and District Chamber AGM. It's going to be on April 20th at the Canadian Energy Museum, and we should uh, be getting information and the invitations out for that so you can register soon. Um, also wanted to mention we are seeking board members. So if you are interested in joining the Devon board, um, please uh, head to our website and it's a pretty simple application to uh, apply for a board member position on the, on our website. And thank you so much uh, again for joining us. Look forward to uh, hearing from uh, Mike Lake and Mark Smith. Great. Thank you, Chris. Uh, now, um, if the first up and we will have a federal update. So now please help me welcome um, Mike Lake, Member of Parliament for Edmonton-Wetaskiwin, the Honourable Mike Lake. So, Mike. Thanks. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, uh, thanks Chris. Um, uh, for starters, actually, uh, just comment on the fact that it's great to see the Devon Chamber and, uh, and uh, the, 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 uh, the regional chamber working together. Uh, you know, we, we have some of the best folks uh, 
that I've best chambers that I've had the, the pleasure of, of meeting across the country, uh, working right here in our region. So um, such a powerful region when we work together. Secondly, I'll point out that uh, um, coming to this meeting is interesting for me because I was once a Devon business owner. Um, I went to university from 90 to 95. And in my first couple of years, I was a business student. We owned Heroes and Zeros sports card store uh, in the old theater there uh, on Main Street in Devon. And so didn't make a lot of money uh, doing that, but it was a, a great experience to, uh, to own a small business. And uh, I owned it with my brother and my dad. And uh, the, I think my, my most interesting memory is that my dad was a chain smoker and would always uh, assure us that he never, ever smoked in the store. And uh, after a couple of years, when we closed things down, we took the posters off the wall and the walls were all uh, white behind the posters. Uh, we just took for granted that it was off-white everywhere else, but uh, it was pretty clear that he had been breaking the rules uh, as we were there. Um, it was a different time in the 90s. Um, it's, a, you know, my update, it's a, it's a very interesting time right now in Parliament. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to a time when we get back to normal, but I, I kind of forget what normal is even like uh, these days. It's been such a strange few years now around the world and, uh, and particularly in parliament. Um, you know, right now our, our house is sitting meaningfully um, since the end of November, but, uh, but really since we came back from uh, the Christmas uh, constituency break, at the end of January, sitting for the first um, time meaningfully um, in two years, uh, the way that the House is supposed to sit, where you have the opportunity to, to really hold the government to account when you're in opposition and, uh, um, in, in, and really be able to sort of build some momentum. If you're in government, build momentum on, your, your, uh, you know, on what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're in opposition, um, momentum, I guess, in a sense, in terms of uh, accountability, transparency, and all those things that are so important, fundamental to our democracy. So it's great to be here. I'm in Ottawa right now, actually, uh, having this conversation. Um, I put my social media handle in my, uh, in my name there. So if you want to reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, it's the same handle for everything. And uh, we are doing regular roundtables with constituents right now, still over Zoom. Um, Zoom is going to be very handy for us. Um, you know, as I'm in Ottawa, we'll probably continue sometimes doing them over Zoom. Zoom. I can't wait to, to be in person as well. But uh, we have three coming up uh, in, in a few weeks from now. So if you're interested in just coming, if you're a constituent, you want to come to a, a constituent roundtable, please uh, reach out to my office. And, and uh, we want to hear from as many people from across the riding as we can. Um, to that end, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the, the federal riding of edmonton Wetaskiwin. For, for people that aren't familiar, it's the, the biggest constituency in the country. So out of 338 ridings, it's the biggest constituency in the country. Um, we've had two elections in a row, the highest vote total in the country in our conservative campaigns. Uh, in fact, uh, two elections ago, it was the highest vote, second highest vote total in the history of the country. And, um, and when you think about the size, and, and this is really speaks to the amount of work that uh, my staff have to do, we're at uh, 209,000 constituents in the 2021 cen uh, census. Um, the second biggest riding out of 338 in the country is 45,000 less than that. So we're at 209,000, about twice the average uh, uh, constituency size in terms of population. So um, you can imagine right now with COVID, 
And then, you know, all of the things that uh, people, people are pretty fired up these days. So writing us about mandates and, and, uh, you know, getting back to normal and the financial situation, the Emergencies Act, and some of the things I'm going to talk about, um, just a tremendous amount of work for my, for my team. So they're not on the call, but I'll, I'll, I'll give a huge shout out to them because it's uh, unbelievable how much work that they're putting in to make sure that we um, serve you as, as constituents. In terms of the, you know, the issues that we're facing um, in Parliament these days, you know, well, first off, I'll, I'll mention that my official capacity now, uh, uh, since the election, I was appointed uh, shadow minister. So we have a shadow cabinet. So to mirror what that's the federal cabinet. And uh, I've been appointed shadow minister for mental health, addictions and suicide prevention, which uh, is it's a real honor. Uh, and uh, it obviously a huge issue. It was one of our top five priorities in our election platform. Um, and so had a real opportunity over the last couple of months to meet key stakeholders and, and uh, to talk about issues around, around mental health, around the opioid crisis. We're, we're driving uh, a push for a, uh, a national 988 suicide prevention hotline, uh, which is long overdue. And so in my uh, official capacity, I guess, as, as shadow minister, those are some of the things that I'm focused on. Um, in terms of the, the, the house, I think the thing that we're not focused enough on right now in the House of Commons, we need to be focused more on is our fiscal situation. Um, you know, we've been focused on, on mandates and, and the Emergencies Act and, and other things that are really important. Obviously right now we're seized with um, the situation in Ukraine, but uh, our fiscal situation is really a challenge right now. Um, we, are, uh, we are obviously uh, in, tremendous debt as a country right now. We're seeing uh, inflation increasing. We're seeing, because of inflation increasing, we're seeing um, interest rates increasing right now. And uh, those of us that are old enough on this call to remember the, the 70s and early 80s, uh, remember the, the really difficult circumstances for the country at that point, but not just that, we also remember that uh, the bill for all of that debt came due um, not immediately, but came due in the mid '90s when uh, massive cuts were made to healthcare, social services, education transfers uh, from the federal government to the provinces. So, um, really, really keeping an eye on the fiscal situation right now. It's uh, um, you know it, it, it's troubling to say the least. Um, to that end, oil and gas. I mean, obviously, I'm speaking to uh, you know to to chambers. Uh, and uh, specifically the Devon Chamber in a municipality that was founded on, uh, on oil and gas and uh, because, of, because of oil and gas. And we've just come through the, the uh, anniversary of Leduc number one. Um, I don't think that there's been a, a time in my time as a member of parliament where the need for Canadian oil and gas was uh, more obvious uh, at a global level. And we've been saying this for a long time. I've repeatedly asked questions in the House of Commons around the fact that, and I didn't, I didn't mention Russian oil because the top three source countries uh, for Canadian for, for oil coming into Canada uh, outside of the U.S. are Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and Algeria. So I tend to signal single those three countries out, but uh, Russia fits in that category as well. It's um, absolutely ridiculous that oil coming from those countries to our east coast to the tune of hundreds of thousands of barrels still a day uh, isn't subject to the same 
uh, rigorous regulation that oil coming from Alberta, Saskatchewan and Newfoundland is subject to. Uh, you know, we have to, to build a pipeline, account for upstream, downstream emissions and, and in, the, in the process that was changed in 2017. And um, oil coming from those countries isn't subject to accounting for upstream and downstream emissions for, you know, production or for shipping across the ocean or whatever the case might be on tankers. So um, uh, thankfully, there's a little bit of a spotlight on that right now. And, uh, and, and hopefully it'll drive a really, really important conversation uh, moving forward. Um, I will address on the mandate side of things and, and the Emergencies Act, uh, you know, we, we as a party were vehemently opposed to the, the uh, putting in place of the Emergencies Act. Now, I, I don't wanna downplay um, what happened uh, in Ottawa with the, the convoy eventually, it got to a point and we saw this in you know, with blockades in other parts of the country where, you know, th those blockades were illegal and, uh, and law enforcement should have stepped in to stop them. Um, we have to treat blockades, uh, whether on issues that are driven by issues that we agree with or don't agree with, um, we have to treat them the same way and, uh, and be consistent. And I don't think we've seen that from this government, quite honestly. Uh, we have to be careful within our own party too that we uh, treat them the same way. Um, but uh, but the Emergencies Act was a, a massive overreach, and uh, obviously, obviously it was effective. And uh, when we debated the Emergencies Act, it was uh, a common refrain from Liberal members standing up in the House of Commons to talk about how effective effective it had been in clearing the, the downtown Ottawa. Um, uh, if it hadn't been effective, we would have had much greater problems, though, than uh, than what we were dealing with. The, the the you know measure as to whether it should have been used or not wasn't whether it was effective, but whether it was uh, justified. And uh, if we go down the road of using the Emergencies Act in situations like this, I fear for where um, you know where it might be used in the in the future. And um, you know, I think it's a, a tool that we really really got to be got to be careful about. As for mandates, uh, you know, I'm, I'm someone that I'm, I'm double vaxxed and then boosted. So, uh, you know, I've had my three Pfizer shots. I, I believe in the evidence around vaccines um, and, and the mRNA vaccines. I'm sure with the number of people on the call, there's some on the call who would disagree with me on that. Um, but I think that uh, I think we're at a place where the science uh, should, uh, should enable us to move forward without vaccine mandates. Uh, the Prime Minister's own position in May of 2021, he said at that time, three months before the election, that um, that uh, Canada is not a country where we make vaccines mandatory. And then three months later, we had mandatory vaccination, uh, or you would uh, you would lose your, your job if you were working in the federal public service. Um, we had other tools we could have used. Um, I, I may, uh, I may disagree with, uh, with friends and, and loved some friends and loved ones, um, who, who chose not to be vaccinated, but, um, but they should no one should ever have lost their job because they were making a personal health decision that they didn't want to, uh, take a vaccine. Um, and, uh, and so we, our alternative before the emergencies act was used was to say, listen, the government, we moved a motion to this effect. The government needs to lay out a plan just like provincial governments are and just like governments around the world are to move beyond federal mandates and restrictions to give Canadians some hope. Um, we're in this weird circumstance right now where because the federal government didn't do that, 
Um, I think they're afraid politically to do it now and look like, you know, look like we won, I guess, in a sense, in terms of the debate. So we're almost in a sense where for political reasons, we're hanging on to the mandates and restrictions at the federal level longer than other other uh, countries and jurisdictions are. So uh, we've got to move beyond this. Um, we've got to learn to live with COVID. Uh, it's, it's not going away. But uh, for our mental health, for our, uh, you know, for our, our kids, for our businesses, for our economy, we've got to learn to live with it. And we've got to trust the evidence and science. We've got to trust our public health officials to find a way for us to, uh, to do that and advise us. But it, uh, we, we absolutely have to move forward. And, um, and I mean, the final thing I'll just say um, is just referencing Ukraine and Russia. I'm wearing a um, the the uh, uh, ribbon that we've been wearing uh, as we watch what's going on over there right now, and and uh, you know this is one of those things that's actually Parliament's been working pretty well together. We have some questions about you know how tough the sanctions are and and whether we're doing all of the right things or could have done more in the past. There will be a time to look um, retroactively to what we should have done, but uh, I think Canadians. This is one of the few issues it seems right now that's uniting Canadians in. Uh, in uh, standing up for our, our our friends in Ukraine, and of course, it, it, you know, for for those of us in Alberta, this is uh, it hits very very close to home for for so many of us in Alberta. So, I will uh, I'll just stop by thanking you for including me in this event. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what Mark has to say, and and looking forward to answering any questions people have afterwards. So, thank you so much for uh, including us in this. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and as Mike mentioned, yeah, to put your questions into the chat, we will get through those. And, and, and Mike's always great to monitor the questions as well. But if you do have something you want asked, um, please uh, put it in the chat and we will make sure that we get to that. So um, I'd now like to welcome, we're very pleased to welcome Mark Smith, MLA for Drayton Valley, Devin. Mark. We just have to, oh, you got it. You got it. Yeah, there we go. Are we on? Can you hear me? You bet. Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for uh, for inviting me here today. And and Mike, it's good to touch base with you again and to, to hear how things are going at the federal level. For those of you that um, maybe some of my constituents get confused as to uh, uh, federal and provincial and boundaries and who represents them and on what issues they get represented. So uh, I'm the MLA for Great Valley Devon. And uh, I go all the way technically from the, uh, the Enoch Reserve, so the River Creek Casino is in the, uh, the eastern side of my uh, uh, constituency, all the way pretty much to the, to the foothills in the Rocky Mountains, and uh, um, just north of the North Saskatchewan River, and uh, pretty much along Highway 39 and 22. So uh, that's my constituency, and I don't have nearly the size that Mike has, and I don't have nearly the number of people that Mike has, but I still have about 48,000 people in, in my constituency. And uh, um, of course, uh, where there is some interplay between us, um, I deal with the provincial side of the equation. Uh, so thank you for, uh, to Jennifer and to the chambers, uh, the regional uh, chamber and, and the Devon chamber for inviting me here today. Yeah, it's been a busy time, not only federally, but but especially at the provincial level, at least in my life. Um, for those of you that, that uh, have paid pay attention to politics, you'll know that the uh, session started last week and we had our speech from the throne uh, that outlined uh, the agenda that we're going to pursue in the next uh, spring session here. Um, 
of course, we've been going through COVID for the last two years with all those trials and, and tribulations. And uh, um, now it's been tough on everyone. Um, and I, I guess uh, to a certain degree, I echo the sentiments of uh, the chief medical officer of health and that, you know, good people can disagree on issues. And we need to make sure that, that when we address an issue like COVID, that, that we, we have the respect, we have respect for each other. And that we remember that, that there are going to be times when, when, you know, just sincerely good people can disagree. Now, I know that, uh, that our caucus has, has worked really hard to try to develop a consensus. And, and uh, uh, just after Christmas, uh, I think we, we were able to do that. Um, and, uh, and we were able as a caucus to, to send a message to, to the premier and to the, the PIC committee that it was time. It was time to, uh, to remove the restrictions. And uh, after a lot of serious conversation, um, the decision was made to, uh, to remove the, uh, the rep program. And I think most of you heard in the news that you know, we had a voting caucus and, and that, that, that vote was unanimous to, to remove the rep and to remove the restrictions. Um, the question was just how quickly and, and when. And, uh, you know, as of this week, you know, we've pretty much reached the stage where we believe by the science and by the numbers that, that uh, we can remove all but just a few of the restrictions. And so uh, that's where we are moving uh, forward in, in Alberta. Uh, of course, last week we brought down the budget. Um, well, maybe just before we get into the budget, uh, you know, as a part of that conversation, of course, everybody in this country got swept up into the Emergencies Act. Um, I know that that was a very troubling uh, decision by the federal government in my, in my mind. Um, uh, it's probably the most powerful piece of legislation that, that the government of Canada can pass. And uh, built into it is a, is a set of thresholds that are expected to be met before you would invoke um, the Emergencies Act. We in our government and, and myself personally I just don't believe that, that the situation that we were facing with the protests um, came anywhere close to meeting the thresholds for the invocation of, of that act. Um, and so uh, I'm, I was quite pleased when, when the Premier came out and said that we were going to do a court challenge of it. Um, this is a piece of legislation that gives enormous power. It sets aside the, the normal uh, and natural and, and important checks and balances that are in the, our federal um, uh, democratic institutions. And uh, um, to set those aside, it has to be a very serious, serious issue. And uh, personally, I, I think we need the clarity of the courts. Now, this is going to take some time, but I believe we need the clarity of the courts to, to give guidance, because this was the first time we've enacted this piece of legislation at a federal level. And uh, um, I think it's important that we we get some clarity as to whether or not we actually met those thresholds. And so I was pleased that when the Premier came out and said that we would be, be looking at a court challenge. Of course, uh, in my world and in our world here in Alberta, um, a budget is always important. And so we've, uh, uh, the budget has come out. Um, you know, from my perspective and from my government's perspective, we've We've budgeted in the in the three years that we've been in power. We've had what we call a set of fiscal anchors. Uh, there have been three of them, and the, the three anchors that we've tried to build every budget around um, started with bringing our per capita spending in line with with other comparator provinces like British Columbia or Ontario or Quebec. So we wanted to, in every budget, we wanted to bring our per capita spending in line with with those comparator provinces. 
we've wanted to keep our net debt to GDP low, uh, under 30%. And we've wanted to find a path back to having a balanced budget in the province of Alberta. So when we look at the, at the, uh, the budget in, in 2022, um, we believe that we've continued to use those anchors and to move forward on those anchors. So spending over the last three years, one of the things that we've done uh, differently than, than the previous NDP government, uh, they were increasing their spending on a yearly basis by about 4.5%. And uh, if we had continued down that path, uh, we would not have been able to provide a balanced budget this year. So uh, over the last three years and, and continuing on into this year, uh, we've actually only increased our, um, our government spending by about 0.3% a year. So we've kept our spending flat as a government. And, and that's meant that um, when the prices for energy have rebounded as they have over the last little while, um, we've been able to bring forward a budget this year that's going to actually be a balanced budget. So our second point was that we wanted to keep our net to debt uh, GDP ratio down. And uh, we estimate that it's going to be at about 16.7% this year under this budget. And finally, the third <coughs> part of our, oh, and that, let me back up, that, and that GDP to uh, debt ratio at 16.7% is actually really important because what we've seen is that we've grown our debt and our debt is probably about $93 billion right now in the province of Alberta. Um, it's, it's affected our, our uh, credit ratings. And that affects what we can borrow money for. And so as we uh, um, balance budgets and as we keep our spending under control, uh, it allows us to be able to um, uh, keep that GDP to debt ratio low and therefore uh, make it easier for us to uh, address um, borrowing and, and payments and interest rates on our payments. Finally, um, in our budget this year, it's about a $62.6 billion budget. That's a lot of money. Um, and our total expenses are estimated to be at about 62.1 billion. So uh, we're going to have a small surplus of about 500 million. Now, granted, that was budgeting our oil at about $70 a barrel. And, uh, and right now, you know, the price for oil fluctuates, but it looks like it could be much closer to that $100 region or area. So budgeting at $70 a barrel, we want it to be conservative. Um, and of course, nobody could see, you know, necessarily that there was going to be a war in the Ukraine and, and in, in Ukraine and that we could see uh, prices potentially skyrocket. But um, at $70 a barrel, we believe we could have about a $500 million uh, surplus. So um, how are we going to spend that money? Where is it going to go? Well, we've had three main goals in this budget. And the first goal is to address our health care. If COVID's taught us anything, it's that, that our healthcare needs to, to be addressed. And uh, so we're going to uh, be spending you know, a significant amount of money on, on addressing our healthcare. So um, there's gonna be about 2.2 billion for new and ongoing healthcare projects uh, within healthcare that we're gonna be spending on um, capital projects and on increasing surgeries, uh, because of course that's one of the things that COVID has taught us is that um, when you have the influx of, of uh, and pressures on, on ICU capacity and healthcare capacity, that one of the things that gets stressed is uh, our capacity for surgeries. And so we're going to be spending significantly more on, on addressing some of, of those issues in health. Secondly, uh, over the past three years, we've seen a rebound in, um, in the economy. Um, we've created about 130,000 new jobs uh, in Alberta over the last three years. Um, and we're going to have to continue to, to work 
on that. Um, we, we believe that the numbers show us that, that we're pretty much back to where we were in about 2014, as far as the size of the economy and, and, and the dynamics of the economy in Alberta. But we have to continue to work on growing that economy and diversifying that economy. And so a significant portion of our budget is addressed to putting Albertans back to work and to increasing that. And finally, the, the, the third sort of goal of, of, of the 2022 budget is to, to continue to, to stick to our fiscal plan. So we want to continue to be disciplined in our spending and to ma maintain a, a, a balanced budget um, moving forward. We want to, uh, to keep the spending in line with uh, other provinces like BC, Ontario, and Quebec. And we want to keep our net to debt uh, GDP uh, low. And so um, those three fiscal anchors have not gone away and we're going to continue to, uh, uh, to work in a disciplined way to make sure that future um, uh, budgets are, are balanced budgets. And we're going to have to start paying down our debt. Um, at $93 billion, we need to address that. And uh, um, part of that is going to come from keeping our spending in line. Part of it's gonna come from uh, putting Albertans back to work and the $600 million that we're going to spend on trying to do that and to grow the economy and to diversify it. So provincially, it's been a, a very busy time. So we've looked at um, dealing with COVID, the budget. Of course, Ukraine has come across our, our desk, as all Albertans understand and know. Um, I know that uh, um, I was talking to some constituents yesterday uh, that are, and two or three things have happened uh, in the last three or four days. One is, is uh, some of our constituents are working and have sent uh, relief over to Ukraine. They've uh, booked the jets and filled the jets themselves with, with supplies and sent them over to Poland. Um, the first plane left yesterday with the idea being that as we start to continue to raise um, supplies and relief supplies for, for the Ukraine or for Ukraine, um, we'll be sending the supplies over and then as the planes come back, they'll be coming back with refugees. And so uh, we've got a, a group of constituents that are working on that. I know there's another group of constituents in Breton that are working on fundraising for Ukraine. Um, and they've uh, believed that they can, um, their idea was, and it's a cool idea, that you, there are over somewhere around 300 agricultural societies in Alberta if each agricultural society in Alberta gave $1,000 and if they raised $250,000, they could multiply that by putting that through the food, grain, uh, food and grain bank and that that would multiply it to the tune of about a million dollars. And so they're working on doing that. And as Albertans uh, are very practical people, um, we have also, I've been approached by numerous businesses. And so Mike, I put this out towards you. Numerous businesses that are saying, listen, um, uh, we've got jobs. We have skills and jobs for, uh, for these people that are going to be coming here as, as immigrants and refugees, and we need to find some way to plug in. And so uh, whether it's through the, the provincial government or through the federal government, um, we need to start organizing uh, as we get more of these refugees coming in. Uh, we've got people in this constituency that have, uh, you know, the last count that I had, we were looking at 40 or 50 jobs that are good oil paying jobs. So um, uh, Albertans are, are, are on top of this and, and are looking to be able to help in some real practical ways. Uh, let's see, I'll try to finish this off. Um, 
on a local basis because of all of the things that have been happening with COVID. Um, um, my office in Drayton Valley has been open and shut and open and shut and in Devon open and shut and open and shut. So uh, we're now open again and the uh, <coughs> office in Devon should be opening up sometime um, next week. And lastly, uh, in our lives as uh, United Conservative member of the Legislative Assembly, obviously the leadership review is kind of important. And so we're having a lot of conversation with a lot of constituents about, uh, about leadership and whether we have to have a leadership review or not. And, uh, and that's uh, always uh, interesting times when you're a politician and when you're a member of the conservative movement. So uh, um, anybody that has questions about any of those things, feel free to ask. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And speaking of jobs and, you know, and, and maybe a possible influx into our province, uh, we do have members on the job skills training side that can retool. And, and you're right, there, there are so many jobs out there at this time locally to our regions. And so, um, yeah, this could be an opportunity there to, to fulfill those gaps at this time. Um, this is a question for both of you that has... I hit my mouse. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So this is a question for both of you that has come through. I'm sorry. So for those, um, for those businesses that want to help, everyone wants to help at this time. Everyone, you know, not everybody knows what to do. What would each of you recommend that businesses can do to help in the situation at this time? So Mike, did you want to go first on that question? Yeah, it, it really depends on what it is. I mean, Mark touched on folks that want to hire. And I think that's going to be a big, a big issue. And, uh, you know, certainly we can work through immigration to, uh, to, to try and help that out. I think the provincial immigration shared jurisdiction. So, um, you know, Mark's, Mark's office can help and there's a provincial nominee program and, and things like that as mm -hmm. well. Um, as it relates to any other way to help, uh, you certainly connect in with my office, just be patient. Our, our office is, inundated right now with uh with folks writing in about a, a lot of different things so uh we may even as an office reach out to uh to you as a chamber jen and uh and work with you maybe we can kind of work together on that front so that it's uh so that there's uh, a sort of a, a funnel i guess in a sense uh, of folks that want to help out because there's just a there's no shortage of of big-hearted people in our area yeah so true and mark did you have anything to add to that i know you did touch on that but yeah, I guess what I would say is this, you know, this is really early days and sometimes it takes a while for, for governments to get organized. Um, and it really does, as Mike pointed out, it depends on the, on the question that we're talking about and the issue we're talking about. I can tell you that I'm working with, with, with a constituent right now who um, has a, a worker, a farm worker uh, trapped in Ukraine right now. <laughs> Poor guy, has been working on this farm for four years, goes back to Ukraine in order to um, finish off his paperwork to become a permanent resident and the war breaks out and he's stuck there now. I mean, he can't even finish his paperwork because he doesn't have access to email and to the internet. Uh, he's in Eastern Ukraine, Southeastern Ukraine where the bombs are falling. And, um, you know, so we're, we're working on trying to get him out and so we've been working with the federal government because they have a part to play in this and, and working with, with, with our own provincial government, even trying to find out, well, who would you talk to? I mean, do we have somebody that's actually set aside within the provincial government to talk to? And then you're also talking with the Ukrainian community in Alberta because they have people that are working with the provincial government and the federal government on immigration and refugees and, 
and trying to get supplies over and then trying to find jobs. And so it's, it's, a, it's a complicated situation. It's going to take some time to iron out. Uh, I would argue, I would suggest, yes, A, if you've got issues, phone my office. We'll do our best to try to help. Um, the provincial government, and I know the federal government, are, are well aware of this. Um, we've, we've got, we're very generous people as, as a nation and as a province, um, both in trying to send relief there as well as being willing to take people in. And so um, it's going to take a while for us to get a little more organized, but uh, we'll work through. And if you just give us, send us the problems and we'll see if we can find the answers. Great. And Mike, you probably saw this question in the chat, and this member appreciates your comments on invoking on, on the invoking of the Emergencies Act. What safeguards can be put in place to prevent another government from using this act as it was by the Liberal government? So I'll dive into that in a second, but in relation to the last question, I just threw a link in the chat um, to international.gc.ca, which is the federal government website, and there's a uh, it the page goes to Canada's response to the crisis in Ukraine. So anybody wants to check that out, grab it from the chat. Um, lots of information there. So um, it's a good starting point um, in relation to the Emergencies Act. I mean, it's uh, so there's a couple of different things. I mean, first of all, um, the government has has used the act. Um, people can debate whether it should have been used, whether it was overreach or not. We say it is. Surprisingly, the NDP supported them. And so this is uh, sort of a fact of the situation we're in is uh, the federal NDP, which normally would never support anything like this. We see civil liberties organizations across the country who normally align with the NDP on issues like this um, are on a completely different page. They're completely opposed to having used the Emergencies Act. Um, but we're in a weird minority parliament where the NDP is the partner for the government and um, they will bend themselves into pretzels to support what the government's doing, uh, even if it uh, goes against their long, long-standing principles. And you've seen former NDP MPs wait on this and, and, and criticize their party for, for doing it. Certainly, if we're in government, um, you can amend legislation. The Emergencies Act was put in place over 30 years ago by a conservative government to replace the War Measures Act, uh, which was used last in the FLQ crisis in the in the very, very early 70s, um, uh, 1970, in fact. Um, and the only other two times that that was used was during the, were, during the two world wars. So it is, when you talk about it being something that is rarely used, it's been used, the equivalent of it has been used four times. The Emergencies Act is not as all-encompassing as the War Measures Act was. So it was an improvement to start and certainly um, a future government can look at the Emergencies Act and make whatever changes uh, um, they, might, uh, they might deem necessary after what we've learned from this. So as it stands right now, we're about to enter a review on how it was used. We're seeing, and I'm a conservative member of parliament, so this is as political as I'm gonna get. I know there's people from all parties, uh, backgrounds on this call, but we've seen a politicization even of the process to evaluate the use of the Emergencies Act, where you don't even have a Conservative member of Parliament. Usually you'd have a Conservative co-chair. Uh, you don't even have a Conservative member of Parliament as, as a co-chair in uh, the proposal put forward by the, by the Liberals. So um, the, what I would do if you want to make your voice heard politically, certainly you can reach out to, to me. Um, but there are two Liberal uh, members of Parliament in Alberta, and there are two uh, NDP members of Parliament in Alberta, and it does not hurt to reach out to their offices and let them know what you think as well. Yeah, I would you. add. Oh yeah, go ahead, Mark. I guess I would add this. Um, everything that Mike says 
is accurate and true and and you can do. But I also believe that one of the things that, that we're missing in this conversation is that because this is the first time that it's been used, that it's been invoked, we just don't know what those thresholds actually mean. So when it says that it has to be an emergency that is national in scope and that provinces don't have the capacity to deal with the issue, you've heard the premier say, well, no, we have the capacity to deal with the issue in coups. We saw that in Ontario, they had the capacity to deal with it at the bridge. What we saw in Ottawa was a government and a police organization that didn't seem to have the capacity in Ottawa to deal with it. So does that meet the threshold then for the invocation of the Emergencies Act? Nobody's arguing that the protest was serious and that, that it was costing funds and it was creating a problem for the economy in Canada. But what does it mean when it says it's a, it's a national emergency? Traditionally, when we were talking the War Measures Act, we're talking about insurrection, we're talking about a state of war, we're talking about where the, the, the territorial sovereignty and integrity of the nation is, 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 is at risk. And so I, I, I do believe that a, um, a judicial review is necessary, not just a parliamentary review, but I believe that a judicial review is necessary so that we can see where those standards for the thresholds of, for invoking this um, are so that the future governments can use that as, as a part of their criteria for thinking when they choose to, to look at the invocation in, in future events. Right, thank you, Mark. Uh, so we have a few more questions in the chat here that I'll ask. So where does debt repayment fit into the fiscal anchors and will future surplus funds be applied directly to debt? If so, when? Okay, I'm going to assume you're talking about my debt and not the federal debt. Your debt, your debt, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's not my, hopefully it's not my personal, because I yeah. certainly didn't have, a very much, didn't have an awful lot of fun spending all of that money. Mm -hmm. um, now, yes, we're, we are starting to have conversations uh, in the government about, about where our priorities are going to be. Listen, we understand very clearly that, that past governments, including past conservative governments in this province, um, when they've had surpluses, have put those surpluses into operation into various ministries and, and we've eaten up, uh, you know, any, any uh, um, surpluses that we've had by, by putting it back into providing services, et cetera, for, for the people of Alberta. And that, that may have been a good thing to do at that time. I'm not arguing that one way or the other. But I think that we've hit the stage here in Alberta where we're at $93 billion debt. That's, we're now incurring I, I believe our, our interest rates to pay just to pay the interest on that debt are are are, are of a size that are, are larger than all but I think our top two ministries. So we have a significant interest payment every year that we have to put towards towards before we ever start providing any services for the people of Alberta. That has to be addressed. So we are absolutely looking at at uh, debt repayment. Um, you know, it's probably going to have to, to wait until we go through this session and we start to see where we're at um, as far as the price for oil and gas, et cetera. That's obviously a, a, an important part of the equation. The other part that we've also been talking about is, um, you know, the Heritage Trust Fund. 
that we, we want to make a priority of, of potentially, um, you know, at, at the very least, stop from taking the interest from the Heritage Trust Fund. It's about, at about $19 billion. Um, and, and, and leaving that in the Heritage Trust Fund and perhaps even growing the Heritage Trust Fund. Um, I equate it to uh, a retirement fund. If you're going to retire, you have to build up a nest egg that you're going to live on that's going to replace the, uh, you know, your, your income. And, and so if, if, as so many of the people in the world today suggest that oil and gas is, is on its last legs, and by 2050, 2060, we're going to be looking at having a, a post, uh, you know, oil and gas economy, then we've got that period of time to start looking at a, uh, at a heritage trust fund and growing it. That's my personal view. I know we're starting to have that a few conversations about that uh, around the caucus table and around MLAs. Um, but obviously, we're also going to have to balance that off with providing services for the people of Alberta. So, but that conversation is starting to happen at the provincial table. Great, thank you, Mark. So this is a question for both of you. And, and there's, this is, there's been a lot of topic discussion lately on RCMP versus provincial policing. And so, uh, which is resulting in, you know, big issues for, for all of the municipalities and then what they're going to do with that. So um, the member would like to hear both opinions and perspectives on that. Mike, did you want to go first on that? Well, going first, I'll, I will say that it's uh, largely a provincial decision. So um, what the province <laughs> is going to go on, but uh, um, but we hear loudly and clearly, and I share with my uh, you know with my provincial colleagues when I get a chance to talk to them the issue, um, particularly in the rural areas, uh, rural crime is an issue. Uh, Mark, I know you in the riding you're in, uh, you, yep. you know, you're hearing the same thing that I'm hearing. Um, and it's not petty crime. This is this is in many cases getting more and more organized uh, based on uh, you know calculations of how far police stations are away from targets. And uh, um, there are a lot of issues that go into it. And some of those issues are federal in nature as well. So you know dealing with uh, you know the, the opioid crisis is something that has uh, spillover for both of us uh, at, at both levels. Uh, there's mental health issues that come into play. And and I noticed there was another question about about that as well. But uh, um, by and large, the decision on uh, provincial police force versus uh, R RCMP, I I I'll kick that ball over to uh, to Mark because uh, that's a more of a provincial conversation than a federal one. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think you're right. Um, I know that that we're having that conversation, but we're going to have to have a lot more discussion on that. We're still doing a lot more study on that. Yes, we've had the Price Waterhouse Cooper report that um, says, you know, when we look at the overall cost for uh, using or having the RCMP, um, we also have to remember that we have to take in the uh, new um, uh, the RCMP have now unionized and we've now got a new contract that's been negotiated by the federal government, which has five years worth of back pay. And those costs have to be factored in to whatever thing we're doing moving forward as well. So we're going to have to take a look at the costs. We're going to have to take a look at, at uh, a lot of you know, training and infrastructure and who's going to move over from the RCMP into a provincial police force if we choose to have a provincial police force. Um, I'm not sure that we have all the answers or even all of the information and the, no and the knowledge or the capacity to, to make a decision yet. Um, I know that when I talk with people in my constituency, it's hard to divorce this from, as Mike has already done, 
um, divorce this from our, the larger question, which is rural crime and, and, and dealing with the crime in, 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 in our towns and villages and farms and cities. So, um, and that's far more than just whether or not we have a provincial police force or an RCMP or a national police force here. Um, you know, one of the problems, and again, Mike alluded to it, is, is, is some of these things are provincial and some of these things are federal. You know, one of the things that we struggle with in, in, in the Dream Valley constituency, and I believe in all of rural Alberta at least, is uh, a revolving door when it comes to criminal justice. And, and uh, that comes down to a bail ladder, and that comes down to uh, the bail crown and how we handle bail. And that is influenced by Supreme Court decisions and, and, and federal legislation and provincial, and it's, and it's not going to be necessarily an easy thing to address. Um, Having a lot of conversations with uh, with uh, the Devon RCMP, with the Drayton Valley RCMP, um, met with K Division, and we're putting together a brief that we're going to be sending to the Ministry of Justice to address um, and to analyze with some suggestions for how we could uh, change the bail ladder. Um, bail ladder, for those of you that don't know, is is uh, when somebody is is brought before the courts and they want to be released on bail, um, they can receive uh, uh, no cash bail, or they can receive cash bail, and uh, how does a judge determine whether this person should be released on no cash bail, and if it's no cash bail and they break the conditions of their release, uh, we're not going after them. And, and so we've got some issues, we've got issues where the bail, the, the, the documents that are given to the Crown bail crown and to the defense lawyers and to the judge, sometimes they're not even read before they make a decision on bail. So there's that issue as well. So when we put it all together, um, and you know, we're quite honestly just uh, had a really good conversation with um, one constituent the other day uh, who suggested, well, maybe we should be talking about just increasing the sheriff's service and dealing with provincial um, legislation, it's non-criminal, and then keep the RCMP simply for criminal investigations. And um, maybe that's a part of the conversation that we have to have as well. So end of the day, I guess what I'm saying is I'm looking very forward to continuing the conversation, to hearing what my constituents have to say. I haven't made my mind up yet, and I don't believe the government has yet either. Great. Uh, so we just have a few minutes left and we, we're going to get to door prizes and just a few more announcements. But and so, but we do have that one last important question. And so uh, it's on the mental health piece. So what are plans to address the shortage of mental health care workers or, or what else can be done to support mental health needs, particularly for the, the younger generation? So I'll, I'll jump in on that. Um, first of all, in our platform, uh, and you can still probably find our platform online, um, it, uh, we proposed an, a, a pretty massive increase actually to health transfers. So even though we're talked about moving back towards a balanced budget in 10 years, personally, I think we've got to move faster than that. But uh, um, we talk about moving back towards a balanced budget. We've said that um, for, you know, there's some areas that we need to invest in healthcare broadly. We've said $60 billion in additional money to the provinces over the next 10 years. This is something the province of Alberta has uh, advocated for, as has every other province in the country. 
And we've said that uh, a portion of that, we want to respect provincial jurisdiction and not necessarily have strings attached, but we want to work with our provincial counterparts to talk about mental health. And we talked about within 100 days, if we had formed government within 100 days, we would do that. We've also talked about, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the need for treatment beds for uh, folks dealing with, uh, with, with addictions issues, uh, significant investment in that and a significant investment in Indigenous mental health as well. So those are priority areas as well as, and we had some other measures that you could read about that, that uh, talked about tax credits for companies um, to include mental health supports in their, in their uh, um, benefits packages and, and the like. So there are some places that we need to spend the money. I'll say one more thing though, on the balanced budget question, um, you know, as a, as a parent of a 26 year old with autism, I always like to say we benefited from Jaden having great supports in Alberta for autism treatment and help as, as he's grown up. But as important to the supports he has now are the supports a generation from now when maybe we're not around or maybe two generations from now and he's still going to need that support. And so the question about getting the budget balanced eventually is that by doing that, eventually you, you have the, the flexibility to deal with whatever problems we face at that point in the future. And so, um, you know, we, we faced the devastating cuts in the mid 90s because we ran big deficits spending on things that may have been important in the 70s, but it led to devastating cuts in healthcare, social services and education. And we're, we're, we're still, we've never caught up in healthcare to the cuts that were made in the, in the mid 90s by the federal government in transfers. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna do justice with uh, 35 and a half seconds left before we have to shut this down. But um, uh, I believe we earmarked something like about 99. We've We've, you know, mental health and addictions often go together, as Michael will, will tell you. And um, I think we've increased our number of beds that we have for, for rehabilitation by 4,000 over the last two years or something like that in Alberta. And we're planning on doing another 4,000 uh, in the next year or so. Um, but we've also set aside $99 million to add uh, 30 treatment spaces in the emergency department at the Peter Lougheed and another 12 beds in the mental health intensive care unit there. So. Um, that's you know we are we are cognizant of the of, of the issue. Uh, if you want to email me and have a further conversation or give me a call, uh, feel free to give me a call and we can uh, we can maybe deal with this with a little more justice rather than in 35 and a half seconds. Thanks. Thank you. Wow, and an hour flies by. This was such a great uh, great event and and so good to hear from both of you.